Okay, here we go. It's a blast from the past. Please listen carefully. Go, go. A delicious adventure into the world of retro computing news and information. Featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Hey, you got your Coco 3 yet? Coco. Welcome, Coco Cruisers. You're listening to episode 91 of the Coco Crew Podcast. Welcome. I'm John Linville, here with uh, my co-host, of course. we got Neil Blanchard. Hello, Neil. Hello, everyone. Mike Rowan. Hello, Mike. Hello, and happy holidays, everybody. <laughs> and, of course, Mr. Boise Pete. Hello, Boise. Ho, 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 and Merry Christmas to the Coco yeah. world. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's Christmas time, and... There's the usual spirit of the season and going around. Unfortunately, in the in the cocoa world, we do have um, one little bit of bad news that hit us recently. Mr. Bob Swoger, the giant of a man, literally, was deeply involved with the Glenside and the Cocoa Fest for many years. Not unexpectedly, but um, we've got the news now that, that Bob has passed from this world. A good man, a very jovial, friendly person that will be missed. We'd like to express our condolences and, uh, you know, our, our give our regards for Bob and his family. Speaking of Coca Fest, I believe the next one is uh, scheduled for about four months away now. And, of course, uh, we have Tandy Assembly in about nine months from now. Two things to look forward to in the community. Anybody working on anything cool recently? Any, any nifty projects or, you know, anything at all? <laughs> No, it's it's Christmas season. Too busy. Yeah, yeah. too a little busy. Yeah, it's busy. Yeah. I'm hoping to to um, crack open my project list and uh, work work on a few things over the next couple of weeks. We'll see if that happens or not. But you know, so far I've at least dug out a couple of spots that I might could work in. So, <laughs> <laughs> what about acquisitions? Anybody buy anything cool? I've um, well, kind of. Gotten a little bit back into some eBay recently. Not a lot of specifically Cocoa stuff, but I did. Um, so I picked up something on eBay that's um, definitely Cocoa related. When it showed up, there was a, a little bit extra uh, something. And uh, there was a note inside the extra bag that indicated that the person had recognized my name and uh, you know, acknowledged my, my role as a host of the podcast and then a little extra long as a expression of gratitude or, or thanks or whatever. Well, that's that was awesome. definitely, yeah, that's definitely nice to be recognized, you know, get some, uh, some benefit out of doing a little work on the podcast. So, uh, so I reached out through the eBay messaging system and thanked the, uh, that person. I'm going to leave his name out of it just, uh, so we don't attract unwanted attention or <laughs> whatever there. But, uh, Again, I do appreciate it. It's definitely a, a nice gesture. Why don't we take that as a, the start of the podcast? We'll uh, take a short break and be back with some announcements. A Christmas gift from Radio Shack. Before 
Christmas, they claimed they were bored. But then I found Radio Shack's incredible selection of electronic games. He's rescuing the fair maiden with the Kingman game. She's exploring dangerous new worlds with Zackman. And with the alien chase game, he can do space battle with an opponent or by himself. <clears throat> there are more gifts if anyone's bored. I won! Fascinating electronic games from $7.95 to $59.95. Only at Radio Shack. If you're bored at Christmas time, please enjoy this chipmunk rhyme. We kindly suggest to you listen to the Coco Crew. John will keep us up to date. Neil reviews the games of late. Lots of info you can use. It's the Coco Crew. All right, welcome back, Coco Cruisers. Again, you're listening to the Coco Crew podcast. We are available on Twitter with the Twitter handle of Edson C O C O C R E W P O D C A S T. If you are a Twitter user prone to sending tweets, um, feel free to tweet at us, and we may actually tweet back. We have a, a Facebook group for the podcast called um, the Coco Crew Podcast, or several words. So if you're on Facebook. Feel free to to join the group and uh, introduce yourself and maybe get a little early news or interact with the hosts or, you know, give us your feedback that way. You know, whatever works for you. We have an RSS feed available at uh, cocogrew.org. If that's too DIY for you, then uh, we are available on Apple Podcasts, also available on Google Play. And if you prefer to uh, stream the podcast rather than download episodes, and we're available for streaming through Spotify, Stitcher, and on TuneIn. So for some time, I've been taking the audio podcasts and then doing a little conversion on them to turn them into a video form and putting them on YouTube. And when I say video form, it's really just a graph or voice, um, <laughs> the audio graph of the vo- our voices, but um, background pictures of the show notes and that sort of thing. But you can watch it on your YouTube player. The big advantage, I think, for consuming the podcast through YouTube is the subtitles, which YouTube does a good job with subtitles. So I'm told that if uh, English is not your first language, of course, if you're hard of hearing, that uh, subtitles can be very useful for consuming the show. If that sounds appealing to you, you may want to check us out on YouTube. We have a playlist in the show notes. We are a member of the Throwback Network. This is a list of uh, retro-themed podcasts and centered around 80s and 80s culture. If you are caught up on the Coco Group podcast and looking for something else to listen to, we recommend you check out the Throwback Network. We're also listed on the Game by Game Podcast Information Hub. This is also a list of retro-themed podcasts, in this case centered around uh, video game console, home video game consoles, and home computers from the 80s. If you're caught up on the Coco Group podcast and looking for other ways to occupy your time, we recommend that you check out the Game by Game Podcast Information Hub. Audio for the Coco Crew Podcast used to be hosted by Cyber Ears. Cyber Ears has, uh, of course, disappeared now. The um, podcast is now hosted at anchor.fm. So that's anchor, you know, https colon slash slash anchor.fm slash Coco Crew. 
uh, personally recommend that you consume the podcast feed through our RSS feed at CoverGrow.org. So if we do ever have to move again, hopefully we'll be just as tricky then as we were this last time and <laughs> make it so you never have to change anything. Anyway, we got great service from um, Cyber Years over the years, and so far it's been pretty easy to work with Anchor. Thank you to to the folks at Anchor.fm for hosting the podcast. So if you want to reach out to the host of the show via email, we have some email addresses set up for that. The first three are reach all of the hosts. Those are show, S-H-O-W, at cococo.org. That's at sign, C-O-C-O-C-R-E-W dot O-R-G. We also have podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at cococo.org. And feedback, F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K, at cococo.org. And if you'd prefer to, to reach out just to one of the hosts, then we have individual emails available. You can reach me at john, J-O-H-N, at cococo.org. Neil is Neil, N-E-I-L, at cococo.org. Mike is Mike, M-I-K-E, at cococo.org. And, of course, Boise, B-O-I-S-Y, at cococo.org. Let's see, we have uh, listed here a few items in real life that might be of interest to our listeners. At least we think so. April 14th through 16th of 2023, we have Vintage Computer Festival East. BCF East 2023 will be a hybrid show in person and streaming online. Themes for this year, number one, computers in education. Where? InfoAge Science and History Museums, Wall, New Jersey. April 14th through the 16th, 2023. April 22nd and 23rd, 2023, we have the 31st annual last Chicago Cocoa Fest. Admission is free for the entire two-day Cocoa Fest event this year. To ensure adequate seating and comfort, we are strongly encouraging folks to pre-register for the Fest online at candylist.com or by contacting Grant Leedy. Grant uh, actually reached out today, said the, the pre-registration is available for vendors now. If you're thinking of going to Cocoa Fest, it's uh, time to start planning. It's going to be held the Holiday Inn and Suites Chicago Carol Stream in Carol Stream, Illinois. So I'm part of the Chicago land area. Coming up in July, July 22nd and 23rd, we have Classic Game Fest, the biggest retro gaming event in Texas. If you're in the Austin, Texas area and looking for a retro gaming event, then you may want to check out Classic Game Fest. If you go, report back, let us know if it was worthwhile. For July 28th through the 30th of 2023, we have the Southern Fried Gaming Expo for Atlanta, Georgia, Marriott Renaissance Waverly. If you're in the uh, southeastern part of the United States and looking for a, a gaming event, consider heading to Atlanta in the late July. <laughs> Make sure your AC is working in your car if you do that. Coming up a little bit later than that, scheduled for September 30th through October 2nd of 2023, we have, of course, Tandy Assembly. And so this is uh, uh, the big Tandy event that we uh, focus on at this, in this podcast. Brings in Tandy machines of all all stripes, telecomputers, the Z80 base machines, the Tandy 1000s, pocket computers, Model 100s, whatever you got. We'd love to see it. We'd love to cross-pollinate and uh, talk about Tandy and uh, just enjoy the machines. So make your way to uh, Springfield, Ohio pretty close to Dayton, and uh, come and hang out with us. 
bring your tandy machines and uh, show us what you're doing with them. All right. Well, that's the last event I've got listed on the announcements. So why don't we draw this little announcements bit to the close, and then we'll be back after a break with some news. Happy Coco Christmas, everyone. You can still have a festive holiday this year with your Coco and Dragon, but make sure that your code will arrive alive. Don't drink and drive wire. It's easy to make the season a bit safer. This year, the government may limit the number of people you may actually have in your home, but make sure that there is plenty of room. Pace the drinks. Overdoing it can lead to disaster if you were to type in the wrong command or file name. Make sure that people are eating something along with their drinking. Keep plenty of high-fat snacks on hand. Don't gamble with software. Make frequent backups and always have a designated typist. By taking a few simple precautions, you can derive more enjoyment from your favorite computer and your friends. Drink and cocoa responsibly this holiday season. Don't drink and drive wire. This PSA brought to you by the Tandy Temperance League of Greater Fort Worth. All right, Coco Maniacs, welcome back for the news. Kicking off the news this month, some games for you to enjoy over the holiday season from Jim Gary on your MC10. Uh, kicking off with uh, number one is Little Brickout by Steve Wozniak. Now, this is really cool because this is a game that Steve wrote back for the Apple II, showing off the uh, basic on the Apple II and what it can perform. So now this has been ported over to the MC10. Kind of cool to see. And then followed by that, uh, Bulls and Cows by Creative Computing, 1976. And here's a cool one. Uh, Explore your MC10 or Alice. Uh, this is actually a conversion from the Metro Alice. Basically, it just walks you through the machine, like the, the different ports, uh, you know, the graphics chip and uh, sound, that sort of thing. It's, it's, it's really cool. And then we got another one here called Race Demo. A game for the TRS-80 MC-10, Metro Alice, a Dungeon of Doom from Osborne Books, 1984, and a basic file named China.bass. Came up to his uh, kind of usual uh, grouping of uh, projects and sharing with us via YouTube. Pretty neat. Yeah, it's great to see you. Jim's uh, definitely keeping busy. Speaking of keeping busy, we got uh, Paul Shoemaker up next. He posted on Facebook group, he's messing around and maybe developing a fancier version of a simple type-in game from Creative Computing called Camel. Hmm. So and there's different updates he's posted uh, showing along the, the way of all the work he's done. That's a, looks like a pretty cool project that he's doing. Yeah, it's nice to see that pop up. Wow, here, here's another pack of games for you to play over the holidays. If you hmm. have a Super Sprite FM, that is, from Pierre Surratt. He's got another uh, pack of a AGD converted games for your Super Sprite FM Plus board. Uh, that's something I'm going to do over the holidays, for real. Uh, I have one of those boards, and I desperately, I built it, I tested it, and I never did anything with it. So I want to actually get a station set up and uh, dig into some of these packs here, because, I mean, these games look phenomenal. I mean, seeing these... Uh, these screenshots and reviews and YouTube videos. So I got to I gotta dig into that. Last but not least in this first news section is from L. Curtis Boyle. Nitrous 9 Ease of Use Edition for Coco 3 is now out of beta. So this is official mm -hmm. now. So if you've been using that, you can get the latest version. 
And so far, he, he has the uh, 6309 versions and 6809 versions available just for the Coco 3 and the Gimme X. So I think the Matchbox ones are coming next at shows here. Probably by the time yeah. you listen to this, they'll be out. He does a good job supporting the various platforms and, you know, not just the Coco. Very cool. And then, um, a lot of people use uh, Nitrous 9 quite a bit as, uh, you know, the, the core of their hobby or whatever. So it's cool that, uh, you know, Curtis and, and friends uh, keep that going. Kind of amazing, really. It is. Yeah. Good work, Curtis. All right, our next one is from Phoenix Resale at YouTube. How I accidentally bought the ultimate retro TV. <laughs> Guy was shopping in a local video game store and happened to see a, a big Sony Trinitron television. Tossed him an offer and was able to take it home. So yeah, he <laughs> had no intention of getting that when he went out, which is uh, which I think we've all found ourselves in that situation where... <laughs> Well, Those I was are the best days, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you stumble into something and it works out. Cool video. Check it out. Those are always the stories where somewhere you say, do you realize how much this cost when it was new? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 25 years ago, but, you know. <laughs> Our next one is from Adafruit, an online video timings calculator. Calculator where you can put in, uh, you know, number of pixels you want the vertical and horizontal pictures and the, ref the pixels, sorry, and the refresh rate. And it will give you uh, the timings in uh, various different uh, formats, aspect ratio. Uh, it's uh, This is definitely a, a cool one. And uh, the video that it comes with is, is also interesting worth watching. If you're working with the uh, raw video, I'm sure that would come in handy for the uh, for your cocoa. Well, you never know exactly how you use it, but I thought it was interesting. Kind of reinforces the... Uh... You know, the message that, uh, you know, video signals, video, you know, basically collecting a, a series of timers <laughs> for the various parts of the video signal. Back in the day, you know, I know this isn't a Linux podcast, but, you know, back in the day, you, you needed to do that uh, for, especially if you had any kind of oddball super VGA monitor, you wanted to take advantage of those with your X Windows server. You know, you needed to, to feed it some kind of uh, X Windows timings line. Kind of the same thing. So. <laughs> We've got one from RGB302, My Life in Gaming at YouTube, another YouTube video. The 240p test suite, optimizing your HDTV for retro games. <laughs> kind of figured uh, Neil would want to jump in right here. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, the 240p, I'm not sure that's even an official designation, but a lot of people are familiar with the uh, 1080p or 1080i. Or, 480p, you know, sort of retrofitted on the old standard in terms of the resolutions. A lot of the older systems actually didn't do a properly formatted NTSC video signal. They actually they basically didn't do the interlaced part. They basically, instead of doing one frame and then the other, they basically did the first frame and then the first frame again, and then the first frame again. <laughs> and so that, that became known as 240p because it's not, they're not interlaced, so it's 240 lines progressive. It's not really 240 lines, but kind of a, fits with the, the, the nomenclature. Anyway, when you try to feed one of those signals, so you composite video signal into your mo more modern television, sometimes it's not going to look as well as, uh, as you need or want it to look, especially if you're a really picky video file type of person. <laughs> 
So there are systems out there that can run this 240p test suite, which I think is a basically a custom ROM um, for for certain video consoles and such that can help you. Kind of like the enhanced version of the. You used to get the the DVDs with the Dolby on it, and you could buy the blue glasses and <laughs> adjust your TV with those. I think it's sort of like that, but I don't really know that much about it. But you know, thought that was a cool. I thought it fit with some of this other stuff, like the timing calculator. Hopefully, it's a wait for uh, this next one too. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, on 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 the past one here, I'll just chime in real quick. I've actually never used any of those converters. I do have. I am in it retro gaming consoles but i'm i'm a stickler i still use the original old crts mm. i know that eventually that's going to have to change so i should uh i should jump on the bandwagon here and get myself updated all right our next story comes from tyler wild at pcgamer.com how wasd became the standard pc controller scheme this is kind of a fun article that's uh, talking about, you know, the origin of that. How did, why did we settle on, or why did so many games use the WASD key combination? Uh, I think Doom is a big one that uh, that used that. They don't take credit for coming up with that. You know, why wasn't it, I guess there were other combinations back in the day, like uh, ZXCV, and, you know, this is before uh, joysticks were maybe as standard or as widespread, so uh, people were using keyboard controls. Fun article. All right, the next news item is pictures of some of my color computers exhibited at X Retro SC uh, Florianopolis SC Brazil on uh, November 5th, 2022 by Luciano Scharf. This is a Facebook post that Luciano put up with some other Brazilian cocoa luminaries in them. Looks like a fun time. Lots of cocos, uh, CP400s, the Brazilian cocoa clones. Uh, some cool pictures of games like Dragonfire and uh, even a video. And just looks like they had a great time. John and I were invited to go down there to Brazil at some point to attend one of these. We never could quite make it, John. We had planned to do it one year. And then it would be really cool to go down there and, and kind of bust the uh, party for them. <laughs> that would be cool. I'd like to do that. But... Fun times. Glad to see the cocoa being... Uh, cherished and their clones being cherished out there in South America. Thank you, gentlemen, for continuing the the work down there. Good stuff. The next news item is remastered box template for Direct Connect Modem Pack catalog number 26-2228 by Antonio Caballero. This is a box that Antonio, looks like he, I guess, designed or, or scanned in or maybe redesigned in a vector format. I'm not exactly sure how he did it. For the Direct Connect modem pack, um, I had one of these. Uh, with Tandy was selling them pretty cheap there at the end of the Coco's life. I had a fun hack. Uh, in fact, I think Mike, you and I had experimented with the with this DCM pack at some point. Yeah, you could put one on each Coco and connect two Cocos together via the uh, the RJ11 cable and 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 have Cocos talk to each other that way. So interesting. All right, the next news item is I've been playing around with controllers again by Nick Brezovac. Nick posted this <laughs> Facebook post to the TR City Color Computer Facebook page. It looks like he 3D printed a, is this a rotor controller? It looks like a paddle gamepad controller for the Coco. Uh, yeah, pretty neat. I wasn't quite sure, but yeah. 
some kind of combination controller with keys on it. Uh, certainly something I haven't seen before for the Coco. Uh, good, good experimentation there, Nick. It's cool to see people experimenting with different controller types. Well, you've done reminds this before of, too, right, John? You did something similar. Yeah, yeah. So it reminds me of a, a different period of the retro computing hobby where we were more worried about uh, experimenting with our Cocos and, you know, maybe less worried about fighting with each other. But yeah. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah. Since 1994, Cloud9 has been making cool stuff for your color computer. Like the Cloud9 Mini Flash, a flash cartridge for your color computer or Dragon. The Mini Flash gives you a total of four 16K banks of flash memory. You can easily flash ROM images into any of the four 16K banks. Store your favorite DOS ROMs and game packs on the Mini Flash. And the Mini Flash is perfect for prototyping your own ROMs without the need for an EEPROM burner. The Mini Flash comes with flash programming software and test utilities. It's preloaded with HDB DOS for DriveWire and two games from Retro Tinker, Coco Dooku and Follow Coco, so you can use the Mini Flash immediately. The Cloud9 Mini Flash works on all color computer and Dragon models and is housed in a high-quality injection-molded cartridge case. The Mini Flash, only from Cloud9. Cool stuff for your color computer. Visit cloud9tech.com for details. Ring in the holidays. Ring out the year with the MC-10. Love and good cheer. Take home an MC-10 for the holidays. MC-10 for the holidays. What's a celebration without the MC-10 microcolor computer to lend sparkle and elegance and the Jim Gary collection of games to keep things bubbling along? Greet the season and your friends. MC-10 for the holidays and all year long. The next news item is many of you will have heard of an esoteric programming language, BrainFuck, by Elliot Williams at Hackaday. This is an interesting article. It's actually an article about two esoteric programming languages, one interpreter. I don't know how many of you folks listening have ever heard of BrainFuck, but uh, hmm. there's, there's, it's a very interesting, simple language. I think it has like six or seven tokens. I implemented a BrainFuck interpreter in Nitrous 9 in a 609 assembly language. It's actually part of the Nitrous 9 project. And this particular article talks about BrainFunge, a BrainFuck interpreter written in Bufunge. I've never used the Bufunge language. But um, it's, a <laughs> it's, it's an example of a programming language that's nearly impossible to use because it's too simple. As someone has quoted in the comments, it's very true. Very true. I think they call those esoteric languages these days, the ones that are kind of there more as a mental exercise or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I recall, it's like you can you have to form a string, but basically like starting with A and like, you know, increase, 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 okay. increase, increase until you get to whatever letter you want to, and then you, you move the to the next letter. Right. I, I think it's the, is it the dot that brings you to the next cell? It's like the, mm -hmm. sets the pointer to the next cell, then you do plus, plus, or minus, minus. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some, something like that. Yep. Anyway, it messes with your brain. <laughs> it does. And, you know, I think other than the name brain being objectionable, it would have been nice to have, this would have been a cool language to talk about in a computer science class. You know, when <laughs> I took computer, when I took programming languages for computer science, 
the esoteric programming language we talked about was Snowball, right? Uh, yeah. The professor introduced an intentionally obscure language to just show how different it was so we could, you know, get our heads out of just the C and the C++ that we were using all the time. This would have been a, a, an equally bizarre one to uh, to teach or to talk about. Uh, uh, snowball, is that the one that has the come from com uh, command, kind of like the opposite of go to? I, was on that uh, I don't remember, uh, but <laughs> I can tell you it'll be a snowball's, a snowball's chance in hell that I'll use that language again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. All right, well, let's see. Moving on to the next group. The first item is a link from um, Al Williams, one of the writers of Hackaday. They create a compiler step by step. He's got a, a site that has a create your own compiler tutorial. At first, I thought this was a link to the uh, a series in Byte Magazine back in the, I guess, the 80s or 90s that uh, was create your own compiler and basically walked you through writing a Pascal compiler, I, I think you see. But uh, this appears to be writing something well smaller for you know some subset I think of JavaScript. I honestly don't know a lot about JavaScript, but uh, it uh, it is a, a popular language these days. And uh, anyway, if uh, if writing your own compiler is interesting to you, then you might want to explore some of the links in this article, and maybe you can learn something and. Uh, you know, if you get some principles down, maybe you can bring a bring us uh, your own weird language to uh, to the Coco and lead a crusade to get us all programming in it. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, let's see what you can do. And so, and then along those lines, the next item says a YouTube video from uh, Astro Sam. That's YouTube. And making a, my own programming language and coding a game in it. So he goes uh, and. You know, conducts that exercise. He develops his own programming language called Z Sharp using C++. And then he goes through the process of coding an entire game in it. it looks like it's um, about 10 minutes. Might be a good way to use 10 minutes of your time if you're interested in people doing, uh, like I said, compiler projects and language experimentation. So there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So switching gears a little bit. Since we're not a Commodore podcast, I don't know how many people have really have heard of Geos, which uh, I guess existed for the Commodore 64, the 128, and the Plus 4, and, and also the Apple II from a company called Berkeley Softworks. There's also a really good DOS version of it as well. Okay, yeah, I've heard of that. It's pretty well regarded, and, and it's... Um, it's sort of like the Commodore version, <laughs> Commodore version uh, of uh, well, running Nitrous 9 or something in the sense that on your little 8-bit computer from the 80s, you can pop up something that uh, is, gives you a graphical environment that's almost, you know, Mac-like in terms of functionality, even WYSIWYG and that sort of stuff. I'm not sure if the underlying system is as advanced as, as OS 9, but if you're feeling smug about the Cocoa and the and OS 9 and the graphical environment, maybe you should look at what was available for Geos. And then why is it in the news? Is somebody has gone and, and uh, reverse engineered the Geos uh, 6502 code for the Atari, I think, uh, or maybe it's from the Apple retargeted it or put it on the Atari 
apparently it works well enough that at least some of the, the applications that were written to run in that environment can move over and run on top of Geos on the Atari without modification. So that's pretty cool. So why is this here? Well, just to keep you on your toes. <laughs> if you're feeling smug about the cocoa, there, there's something else, somebody else out there that might have a few things to say if you start bragging too much. So <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, I'll, I'll be rooting for your cocoa, but uh, you know, just so you know, there are other continues out there for uh, really cool things from the past. So here's one. This is kind of a, a out of the blue, but or whatever. It's a YouTube video from uh, Anders Nielsen. A simple universal modem for your project. It's a small PCB that you can add to your electronics project, and that uh, will actually convert to data to sound and back and forth. So you can add file transfers via sound or whatever to your otherwise uh, isolated CPU project. Can get the modem without having to build it is uh, kind of the point of it, or at least without having to design it. So check it out; might be useful for your project. I can see David Ladd getting excited. All right, the next news item is controlling mechanical seven-segment displays: how RS45 and UART works by Great Scott at YouTube. This is a YouTube video. I like this. Uh, we're all familiar with seven segment LED displays, but this is a this is a seven segment mechanical display. Think of maybe an old, old clock, you know, that you might have seen back in the seventies or something like I did growing up. Um this is uh an interesting project. It's a great opportunity to learn about RS forty five, which is a serial protocol. And he does this by, it looks like he uses a small, I can't tell what if it's an Arduino, but a real small board to do the control of the clock and uh, goes through the theory and uh, waveforms of the RS-45 protocol. It's very, very good stuff. Yeah, those are cool, those mechanical uh, seven-segment displays, pretty neat. Yeah, well, actually, you know what I remember, too, besides a seven-segment mechanical? Remember the clock displays that had the the letters that were, like, pre-printed on little tiny cards? Right, and they would right. just half of it would flip down. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That, that <laughs> yeah. was another one. That yeah. Kind of cool thing to do, too, but, yeah, exactly. The next news item is building a drum machine sequencer using real core memory by Adafruit. Wow, real geek stuff here. Uh, <laughs> all I can say is amazing. Amazing that that worked at all. <laughs> yeah. The next news item when only a uh, TO92 will do by Jenny List and Hackaday. I've seen these many times, of course, component level uh, and transistors and so forth. I didn't really get into the article uh, deeply, but uh, apparently it talks about the TO92 and how it was uh, a relatively small package for its day and easy to handle, easy to put on a motherboard, stuff like that. So. You know, it's it's kind of reminiscent of um, older stories about people with um with like S100 machines where the power supplies would go bad because of bad capacitors and the capacitors were the you know what they call soda can you know capacitors where they they fit well in your hand <laughs> yeah. you know as in if you wanted to hit somebody with it <laughs> yeah. and so. 
people would actually take and and cut those apart to get to separate the can from the internals and then mount modern capacitors inside the can so that you could recreate the the circuit you know right. electronically with with something that looked like it was the original part so it's kind of the same idea but different different technology the next news item getting to know the 555 timer chip by Adafruit. A nice little <laughs> introduction to a very common part that you will use whenever you start electronics, the 555 timer. Yeah, a very versatile chip, amazing lifetime on those chips in terms of yep. you know, usefulness. They can do a lot of cool stuff, and people even build effectively logic circuits and stuff uh, built around them, yep. <laughs> which is not really what they're for, but... Anyway, just kind of a general electronics knowledge, uh, you know, article. But that's one of the Forrest Mims books at Radio Shack, right? Yeah, I think so. That's right. So, <laughs> a little yep. circle back to Radio Shack. Yeah, that's exactly right. In <laughs> fact, even more relevant to our podcast, which model color computer has a five 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 on the motherboard? That'll be the Cogo Twos, right? That's right. Ding ding ding. <laughs> Hack to get the uh, colors to work, uh, if I recall. Exactly, yeah. It has to do with the color burst timing. All right, here's a, a great game that has come out from Paul Thayer. It's I present to you Coco Bond for the Tandy Color Computer 3. This is a new game that Paul has created. It's, uh, uh, I guess, loosely based on Soco Bond, which was the, if you're familiar with that game, fun game where you have to push, it's kind of a puzzle game where you have to push uh, objects, boxes, things around to uh, solve a uh, maze. So there's a bit of logic uh associated with it yeah it's a great so, game yeah, it takes advantage of the coco 3 nice color set well you got the link here and uh, you can get the game and play it for yourself check it out thanks for that paul yep good work all right the next one is from glenn hewlett it's streaming large files on the coco sdc yeah there's a kind of a special programming mode for like say for streaming large files it was you know, kind of put in the firmware for the Cocoa SDC that was kind of passed around if you know who to ask. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's well documented, uh, or at least in, not in the public user level documentation, but you can get it. But uh, I guess uh, there's some gotchas to, to dealing with that. Uh, if you, and I guess Glenn has figured out some of them and documented them there. So good to know. Yeah, very cool. Our next one is from Steve Blakely. Um, this is a, a good MC10 link here. I came across a monitor program written in BASIC. So what Steve has done is uh, there was a uh, monitor program, which, of course, for the uninitiated, is a, uh, a program to uh, enter machine language, look at memory locations, things like that, simple simple utility. Uh, in this case, the, usually you find these in machine language themselves or, you know, like on a ROM pack or something like that. But in this case, there was one written in BASIC for the color computer, and Steve has ported it to work with the MC10. And uh, as you know, there's not a, a plethora of development tools for the uh, for machine language on, that are native to the MC10. So this would allow you to load up this uh, basic program on your MC10, and then you could actually use it to uh, explore the uh, and manipulate the memory on your MC10, uh, work with the machine code on your MC10. So a very, uh, very useful thing, and certainly uh, very much in the spirit of the th kinds of things that were available in uh, computer magazines, you know, back in the day for uh, 
for a home computer. So uh, that's uh, good to see. AutoTerm turns your Coco into the world's smartest terminal. Scroll text forward and backward. Save, load, and delete files while online. Full support for the RS-232 pack, X modem, and even split screen for packet radio. Screen widths of 32, 40, 42, 51, or 64, plus 80 column support for the Coco 3. Switch instantly to word processing mode. Find strings instantly. Create text. Make corrections, save, or load files. Then upload them to a remote system. Fully compatible with Telewriter, plus full automation tools to automate dialing, keystroke, macros, uploading, and downloading. AutoTerm runs on the Coco 2 and Coco 3. No other computer can match your Coco's intelligence as a terminal. AutoTerm from PXE Computing, Richardson, Texas. Coco Crew Podcast wishes you the happiest of holidays. Hometown Radio Shack. Hi, I'm really enjoying playing games at the arcade. I was wondering if you had any arcade-style game controllers for the color computer. Well, we do sell joysticks for the Coco. Can you describe them? Well, they're plastic, fit in the palm of your hand. They have a plastic joystick, and there's a small push button on the side. Do they have spring return? Well, we also sell the deluxe joystick. It has spring return. What's it like? Well, they're plastic, fit in the palm of your hand. They have a plastic joystick, and there's a little push button on the side and one on the top. Uh, But we do sell some other brands, too. What are they like? Well, they're plastic, fit in the palm of your hand. They have plastic joystick, and there's a little push buttons on the side. Why play games with fragile, outdated plastic controllers? Move up to professional arcade quality with the Gamester. The Gamester is the ultimate two-button joystick controller for your color computer, Dragon or Tandy 1000. It features a genuine arcade quality joystick with two large arcade quality cherry switch buttons on a single surface. It sits comfortably on your lap or on your desk. Select custom furniture quality paint or stain finishes. Choose a right or left-handed configuration. And now you have the option of light-up LED buttons. Find out why so many others are delighted with the Gamester. To build yours, simply reach out to Neil Blanchard by email. Neil at CocoCrew.org. That's N-E-I-L at C-O-C-O-C-R-E-W dot org. For true arcade action, it's the Gamester. Our next one is from Ron Rogers. I tinkered with the program and printed the P-Mode 4-1 screen 1-1 image on the laser. When I look at this article, he says that he's printed out a screen using a daisy wheel printer. Is that? Uh, yeah. Later on, he mentions PCL. So he, uh, yeah. he may be conflating a couple of uh, memories there. But my thought was that he had uh, written something to uh, convert uh, you know, the, the screen graphics to PCL and dump to a, a modern uh, laser printer. but. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think that's. I think you're right. Uh, I was more intrigued at being able to print uh, print graphics on, on a daisy wheel printer. I, I wanted to see how that was done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. As much as they cost, you ought to be able to. But uh... <laughs> that's true. So, yeah, I think you're right. Looking at this as uh, PCL, so converted to PCL, so you could send that to most modern laser printers. Understand PCL, certainly HP computer uh, printers do. So, yeah, pretty cool, pretty slick. 
All right, our next news article is uh, posted in the um, Facebook Brazilian Color Computer Group from Ronovan Costa, titled Coco Scheme, which is schematic, uh, one, scanned in high res from original textbook 26-3193. I downloaded this image. This is a, um, a high res scan of the original uh, Color Computer schematic from the Color Computer Technical Reference Manual. So this, this could help somebody out. All right, uh, next one is from uh, Don Barber. He's posted on the uh, Color Computer mailing list. This was titled, I made a thing and wanted to share it with the list, a Cocoa USB serial pack. Now, this is a really cool project because this, this, isn't, this isn't a USB host. Uh, so you're not going to like run a, you know, a USB keyboard or a memory stick on your Cocoa. But what this is, is it's a direct USB connection to your modern computer. And it uses just the, the regular TTL logic, the uh, 6551 uh, serial interface, which the uh, deluxe RS32 pack uses, direct connect modem, and, you know, other RS32 packs of the same era. So the good thing with this is uh, your software doesn't have to be modified. It will be compatible with this uh, project. So yeah, it's really cool mm -hmm. to see this. Yeah, I mean, they, you sort of have something like that. This uh, reminds me of the Roger Taylor uh, backs that uh, he made, uh, where he, they were all essentially clones of the Deluxe RS-232 pack, but he put different front ends on them, like Bluetooth and USB. Nice to have. I mean, I don't think that's available now, so it's kind of nice to have that sort of hardware if you like to do the kind of projects I like to do. So, All right, uh, next news article is from Robin Curie at Hackaday. This is really cool. Uh, yeah. yeah, generating two-factor authentication codes with a Commodore 64. So again, this could be a Cocoa project. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, if you're one of Cocoa software people out there that uh, waits for me to announce that I'm going to work on something and then you race to beat me to it, uh, I'll uh, pretend to claim that I'm doing this with a Cocoa. So go ahead and race to beat me to <laughs> it and see what you can do. Um. Yeah, so I, the, you know, many of us deal with something like this to to log into the VPN at work. Uh, I've got a little little token that uh, I actually can hold in my hand and press a button and get a number that pops up, and I use that as a part of a password. And I've got a version that also runs as an app on my phone. A lot of people have that for for banks or for you know I guess for Google or eBay or or whatever. So it's kind of a, you know, it's a pretty good excuse if you feel like you need an excuse to have a, you know, a Coco or in this case a Commodore 64 set up on your desk. Then, you know, you, you can claim that you're using it for, for your one-time password generation. <laughs> um, you know, but, uh, so I understand that some of the difficulty with that, um, they're using a, a version that kind of, basically it runs well keeps track of the actual time and as part of the uh, the algorithm for uh, generating the next number those algorithms are based on unix time which is uh, a number of seconds from a specific time in um if i recall <laughs> and uh just like coco's any old combo 64 that if it has a real-time clock chip you know, it, it outputs a, you know, the day, date, time kind of format. Apparently, the calculating the seconds until a specific date uh, 
or seconds from that specific date. Nowadays, it's a little tough, uh, a lot of math and a lot of, uh, you know, trying to figure out well, what years had leap years. And I would think nowadays you have to account for which years we're doing leap seconds. So if you recall those, could be a bit of a challenge. But anyway, so if the Commodore 64 can do it with its crappy 6502, somebody can figure out how to make a Coco do it. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. They don't even need a 6309. <laughs> That's right. Your stock 6809 will do it. Yeah. You could probably do it on MC10. <laughs> yeah. The next news article is from Pierre Johansson. Now, this is really cool. I, I know John's going to be excited about this one. <laughs> processor upgrade for the Vectrex using an Atachi 6309 instead of the Motorola 6809. So this is a pretty thorough project here, quite a bit. You know, they even talk about bias flashes and the whole bit on your Vectrex game console. But the game they're using for comparison is a game Scramble, which is a fairly common game on the Vectrex. And it runs about 13% faster, a smoother frame rate. So that's interesting to see that it, it actually made a difference. Well, I mean, this is in line with what we would expect on a Cocoa, that 13%, you know. But yeah, I don't know how much the Vectrix uh, depends on like, interrupts, I think, is the biggest compatibility issue between them. If you, so if, uh, you know, if you have a lot of interrupts, you're going to have to rewrite the code that handles them. If you just got to have the most performance you can out of your Vectrix, but for some reason you don't want to get one of the ARM-based uh, or Pi, you know, Raspberry Pi-based uh, uh, cards for your Vectrix. I guess this is a you know a way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, cool. cool to see. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. Moving on. So we haven't heard much from Alan Huffman in a while, <laughs> and so he seems to have taken some interest in um, what's uh, called the the Logiker. Uh, 2022 Vintage Computing Christmas Challenge. And so the essence of this challenge is um, basically they generated a, a screen composed of um, asterisks but printed out in, in like an ASCII art fashion to display um, eight-pointed star. And the, uh, the point of the challenge is to replicate the star identically. Do your best. To, you know, what, what's the best code you can do with it? Honestly, Alan took a lot more interest in it than I did. <laughs> but, um, so he's uh, got a multi-part series on his blog exploring um, the nuances of the challenge and uh, doing some various implementations, including just uh, straight prints and then prints based on uh, data statements. And uh, I'm not sure what other variations there are. But uh, anyway... You see these pop up sometimes, and particularly around certain holidays or whatever. So if that's interesting to you, then uh, you should go check out. Um, you should check out Alan's blog anyway, see what he's up to. But, uh, um, you know, see what he's, uh, how he's doing this challenge and how else you might could, uh, you know, improve on it. So go check that out. All right, these next few uh, links are maybe a little, well, sad. Uh, <laughs> Um, but they're newsy and hopefully of some interest. So the first one is from Jenny List, one of the writers at Hackaday. It says, the end of an era has Lego to dis discontinue Mindstorms. 
And so uh, the image shows an original Mindstorms brick. My understanding is that they're actually discontinuing the this, the uh, the newer version of Mindstorms as well. The young man that's dating one of my daughters uh, has a, a job working at the Lego store at the local mall. So I have this verified from him <laughs> that uh, Mindstorms, Mindstorms is really on its way out. So... You know, if you're interested in Mindstorms and, you know, you have a Lego store nearby that, that hasn't been raided yet, then you better make your way down there as quick as you can. Uh, otherwise, you might be looking at something that becomes an investment you can uh, cash in on eBay in a year or two. <laughs> so moving on. It gets a little sadder. This one is from uh, Jeff, Jenker, Jeff Jenkins, who's, a, a, I guess, a, a writer at Metro News, the voice of West Virginia. Longtime Radio Shack retail store owner closes doors with mixed emotions. Apparently there's a, a Radio Shack uh, that had still been open in uh, the Charleston, West Virginia area. Too, gone too long, and uh, he's having a pullout. So uh, one less Radio Shack. Uh, Probably a recurring story these days would be my guess, but still a little sad to see. Got a picture of him with the everything must go going out of business signs up in the window. If you're in the Charleston, West Virginia area, there's still one more uh, radio shack to, to plunder. <laughs> so go check it out. All right. And uh, this one, I, I think, is the last one. A similar story from a, written by Catherine Silver at ClickOrlando.com, which I assume is a, you know, in the Orlando area of Florida. Anyway, owner pulls the plug on Orlando's last radio shack after 52 years in business. Door to turn into a smoke shop in 2023. So another radio shack, you know, literally uh, up in smoke. Well, maybe figuratively up in smoke. Sad, sad to see another Radio Shack gone. Probably uh, the best we can hope for these days is uh, a nice quick death for some of these <laughs> some of these stores. But anyway, buck up! It is Christmas time. Uh, you hold on to your good cheer. So for now, I think that's the end of our news for this month. So uh, why don't we? Take another break and then uh, turn it around and come back with some feedback. Boy, the cartridge games we played. All the aliens we slayed. Man, it was your own arcade. Those, Those were, were the days. days. Loaded games from tape cassette. Floppy drives incurred dead. Wasted time with no regret Those, Those were, were the, the days. days And you didn't need a hard drive then Line printers replaced your pen Mister, we, we could, could use a man like Charles Tandy again BBS has ruled the day Serve to have your pay. Fit it all in 64K. Those, Those were, were the days. days. We sat and stared at glowing screens. 
everybody's loyalty was determined by their machines. When you had a job to do, basic always got you through. Accidentally typing new. Those were the days! It's Operation, Milton Bradley's goofy game for dopey doctors. Now for the Tandy Color Computer 3. The operating table plugs into your color computer's cartridge slot. The computer assigns each player which procedure they are to perform. Remove funny bone. Careful! If you touch the sides... Oh. You blew it, Charlie. Funds are automatically removed from your account and you earn malpractice demerits. Your colleagues are suddenly busy at lunch. Next. Take out wrenched ankle. A winner. Funds are transferred to your account and you earn malpractice insurance points. Enjoy the ride home in your BMW 4 Series convertible. Ha, ha, I hate you. Operation, a game for your color computer from Milton Bradley. Operation is for entertainment purposes only. Operation should not be considered as any form of medical advice or medical training. Milton Bradley does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned in his products. Reliance on any information provided by Operation is solely at your own risk. 128K Tandy Color Computer 3 with composite or RGB monitor required. Drink responsibly. Okay, cruisers, welcome to the feedback section. This time, uh, this time we really only have one feedback item. Uh, from a Chet Simpson. If you recall, last month we did a news item about the uh, Borkestra 180, which is uh, Chet's uh, project for uh, a sound card that um, I think is envisioned to maybe be something in real hardware, but is currently he's implementing it in software for the emulator. His feedback is a quick follow-up on Borkestra 180 mentioned in this episode. Uh, the current documentation and programmer information is available via Google Docs. And uh, the current implementation of the proof of concepts for um, VCC is on GitHub. And so if you look in the show notes, I've got uh, Google Docs and the GitHub links there. So uh, if you're looking for more information on Borchestra 180, it has made that available for you. That's all the feedback we've got this time. Please feel free to reach out to us. Tell us uh, what we're doing right or what we're doing wrong. Just tell us that you listen to the episode. Let us know that uh, you know we're not just talking to ourselves. <laughs> and again, that would be uh, feedback, F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K, at cococrew.org, C-O-C-O-C-R-E-W.org. All right. Well, that's uh, the end of our feedback. So why don't we move on to the rest of the for years, air fresheners have been used to hide unpleasant odors. But until now, your choices have always been wildflowers, potpourri, country spices, citrus, and other floral derivatives. That's all about to change with new RetroFresh from Jackson & Jackson. RetroFresh is a walk down memory lane. Each fragrant mist smells like your favorite retro computers. Salmon patties for dinner? Now it's the scent of printer ribbons, Apple IIs, and TRS-80s. Too many cats in the house? Now it's just the scent of heating power supplies, newly opened diskettes, and warm CRTs. Uncle Bob, use your bathroom after the chili cook-off. <laughs> Rip 
replace that offensive odor with the aroma of new computers. New Retrofresh comes in three cents. Apple II and TRS 80s. Warm power supply and CRTs. And new computer. It's like a VCF in a can. New Retrofresh. Free yourself from the floral prison of other air fresheners. Jackson & Jackson is an air freshener company. All right, Cocoa Cruisers. Welcome back. Uh, we're going to have a, a little host discussion. Given the time of year, the gift-giving season, if you're into this hobby and you're like me, quite often the gift-giving uh, is you giving a gift to yourself. <laughs> um, <laughs> quite often something you have to pick up off of eBay or, or Goodwill or something like that. Quite often it's a little bit of a surprise. Um, wasn't really planning to buy this, but I found it and couldn't resist sort of thing. So um thought we'd talk a little bit about uh, how do you handle things, you know, finances and gift-giving issues around the holidays. Do you have different buying rules during the holidays? Generally, how do you manage your retro computing hobby purchasing with your significant other, really whether it's the holidays or not? My birthday is in November, just a bit before Thanksgiving, but it kind of kicks off the holiday season there. So, you know, it gets to be October-ish. I'm not supposed to buy anything for myself for a while. <laughs> Told I'm hard to buy for. I don't know if that's really true, but uh, that's the perception. And uh, I think part of it is because, uh, you know, normally... Thankfully, finances have been good enough that if I see something I want, generally I, you know, go and get it and, uh, you know, just, just order it or whatever. Kind of screws up the gift giving opportunities for me, I guess. So when it gets to be close to my birthday and Christmas or whatever, you know, I'm supposed to back off on some of that. And, <laughs> and especially if there's anything that there's any chance that, uh, you know, a, a loved one might would pick up for me. Uh, definitely should leave it alone. So anything I've got listed, say, on like an Amazon wish list or something that, uh, you know, if suddenly there was a, a you know, Radio Shack T-shirt available at, uh, you know, local store or whatever, I would know that I was not supposed to buy that because somebody else probably would. What about you guys? you have similar issues or any other kind of similar rules? First of all, John, I want to say I don't think you're a hard man to buy for. Uh hmm. I think a great gift for you for Christmas would be a box of cigars and an asket. <laughs> Sounds great. Neil, how about you? You seem like you'd be hard to buy for. No, because you know what I do? I drop <laughs> some hints. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like a, it might be an eBay link or something or uh, something at a local, local store. Links are good. Or I'll just eBay. casually mention something. You know, like a, like a desolder station, you know? Oh, yeah. A company called Hayco. <laughs> oh, I'd, have to, I'd have to spend a, a week uh, just explaining what the hell a desolder station is. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing that for years I've, I've probably, I mean, literally 20 years, I've used a uh, Amazon wish list. It used to seem pretty cool. I could, you know, back, I mean, it goes back to when, you know, Amazon just sold books. <laughs> um, and so I had a wish list there and I could point people at it and said, you know, here's my list of books and you know, just pick a book and buy it for me. And, and, you know, I have books on programming and books on, you know, Unix utilities and stuff like that. And then every year I'd hear, well, I looked at your list, but 
I didn't understand what any of them were, so I couldn't. I didn't buy them for you. I was like, that's the whole point is I listed them out so you didn't have to understand. So just pick one. <laughs> but, you know, so I don't know how well the, the 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 links would work for just anyone. Depends on how trained your loved ones are, I guess. But what about you, Mike? Well, we uh, we get around that by uh, for the same reasons. Uh, it, my wife and I, it's like, well, what am I buying you for Christmas this year? <laughs> in, fact, yeah. we've all, in fact, we've already purchased and gave, gave, getting this out before Christmas, so there's no surprise involved for us. But uh, <laughs> but then we always get what we want. <laughs> yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah, As long as it doesn't devolve down to each of you getting the other a $20 gift card or something like that, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> right. here's your gift card. No, thanks. <laughs> Right. Which is more like how I do things with my mother-in-law, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, and then for the kids, we just give them money because it's, you know, it's always the right color and it's always the right size. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I wonderfully understand that. Are there any other gotchas with the, the holidays and, you know, retro gift giving or anything like that? So, I mean, one other issue that kind of relates to the holidays, you know, is especially nowadays since everybody's ordering everything, you know, on, you know, Amazon or, or other online shopping, you know, we get a ton of packages around Christmas time, but, you know, traditionally that would mean the Christmas packages then having to, to uh, jostle with my, my eBay shipments, <laughs> to, you know, you know, overloading the, uh, the delivery people. Um, but, uh, you know, I've scaled back, I guess, a, a bit on the eBay stuff so these days. So, uh, so, you know, the, the, the kids ordering their, uh, you know, tennis shoes or whatever else, uh, on eBay, uh, or I mean, on, from Amazon or whatever, you know, they, they get their spot on the truck. <laughs> you guys, um, give gifts to your delivery people or, or tip them or anything like that? We we never get the same one. Yeah, it seems like there's always so many different. Yeah, that's a problem. I live in a small town. I could do that, and I did do that. Uh, but uh, yeah, living in a, a larger metropolitan area, you you probably have a dozen different people delivering stuff all the time. Yeah. So. Well, especially in the holidays, you start to get a, a bigger variety. It kind of depends, you know. Normally, in the past, at least, I'd keep enough. Uh, eBay stuff shipping towards the house that I, you know, had some idea, you know, I'd sit out on the porch in the evenings and, and, uh, you know, interact a little bit with the delivery people. So I felt like I knew some of them. And some of them I actually did know because they have kids roughly the same age would be in the, in the schools together and stuff like that, but not as much anymore. But, uh, you know, like I say nowadays they, they swap out the delivery people and, uh, I think half of them are, are Uber and, and Grubhub drivers and, you know, whatever else 90% of the time. And they just kind of swap into the, uh, <laughs> the you know, the Amazon trucks on Wednesdays or whatever. Can we beat the topic to death? I think so. I think so, right. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us and, uh, you know, Hold on a little bit more, maybe for the rest of the show. Is this you?
Oh my god, I've got 40 pages to print! Tired of waiting on a slow serial-attached printer? End the waiting with Blue Streak Ultima, the ultimate serial-to-parallel adapter. Wow, I'll have this report ready in time for the meeting. Just connect Blue Streak Ultima to your Coco's built-in serial port and connect the other end to any printer with a 36-pin Centronics-compatible parallel printer port. Blue Streak Ultima works with any version Coco. Seven switchable baud rates, 300 to 19.2. Select the desired baud rate with the easy-to-use selector knob. No jumpers, no hassle, just faster printing. Try it on your system for 30 days, risk-free. If you're not totally satisfied with the performance of Blue Streak Ultima, return it for a full refund. Blue Streak Ultima comes with a one-year warranty and costs just $39.95. Blue Streak Ultima, the ultimate serial-to-parallel converter. Winter is here again. And whether you have a hunting cabin or just enjoy a rustic home, nothing is as comfortable as coming in from the cold to the warmth of a wood-burning stove. And now your TRS-80 color computer can monitor your stove with the Wood Heat Stove Monitor System. It's easy to install and works with any Coco with 16K Extended Color Basic. You can monitor the flue temp and set upper and lower temperature alarms. No more guessing when to add wood or oversleeping and waking up to a cold house. It's easy to use and easy to load from cassette. It even generates temperature graphs. The Wood Heat Stove Monitor System is just $74.95. Dealer inquiries are invited. Wood Heat is located at 1032 3rd Avenue in West Belmar, New Jersey. Okay, Coco Cruisers, welcome to a special treat. Uh, we've got a little interview here. We're talking to uh, Mr. Tim Linder, who's been a part of the community for years. He's uh, sort of our, our inside guy uh, working on uh, the mess emulator. Mame. <laughs> or Mame, sorry, it was mess. It, it was. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Tim um, been, he posts, uh, he does things and posts videos once in a while. And um, one he posted recently caught my attention where he was demonstrating some of the capabilities of the video text terminal, uh, including um, the graphics and uh, also uploading uh, executable code to it. I think I have an idea where he got that information, but um, thought it might be cool to talk about the project overall. So that's that's what we've invited Tim here for. So I'm here. I'm John Linville, uh, and we're joined, of course, by the the host. Uh, hello, uh, hello, Neil. Hello, everyone. Uh, hello, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Hello, everybody, <laughs> and uh, welcome, Tim. Thank good, you. Good. And of course, uh, Mr. Boise Pete. Hello, Boise. Good evening. <laughs> and of course, hello, Tim. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. I'm looking forward to the interview and uh, talking about the AgVision. Awesome. So maybe uh, I should just let you give you a chance to kind of lay out the, the, the or sketch out the, the, the project that you're working there. Obviously, you're investigating the AgVision. Uh, you've added that to the uh, main emulation. Managed to dig up the information on how the protocol works uh, for the uh, video text to um, be able to send um, pictures and executables and all that sort of stuff. Why don't you tell us about your project? Well, it all started a few months ago when um, someone on Facebook posted uh, the ROM image for the AgVision. 
And in the message, I'd always been interested in the AgVision, being, it being a 6809 computer that predated the Coco and had a very similar um, form factor. And so when I saw that the ROM dump was posted, I decided to um, create the MAME driver. I decided that it needed to be in MAME. So I did some digging around for information, and I found on the Color Computer Archive, I found the technical document. I think I've seen that document. It's several pages, but um, yeah, it defines the messaging that goes back and forth. Uh, yeah, for, um, it, it, it's a real treasure, treasure trove of information of the entire protocol that the Videotext terminal um, supports. And the ROM was so small. I, I at first I said, uh, "This all can't be implemented. This this has to be, you know, what they really wanted to do." But um, yeah, it can't all be in there. And but it turned out it was. Hmm. <laughs> um, uh, so I I threw together the driver, and it's really bad form in the main project to put together something and not test it. Sure. So. Um, I definitely want to thank George Phillips. He is the co-author of TRS80 uh, GP. He has a video text emulation in his emulator, and he did all the hard work of figuring out where all the hardware bits and bobs were in in the video text, and he and he did that just from the video text ROM. Oh, and that's so cool. he really, and I credited him in the main source. He made it a, a bunch easier to get that up and running. But like I said, it needed to be tested. I was, you know, able to send and receive characters just like any other terminal program from MAME. But, you know, I had all these other features that I, I would really wanted to see. Man, I, man, do you, can you imagine getting a videotape of what AgVision actually looked like? That would be so cool. But, you know, the next best thing is, is to write a server to exercise all the features. Definitely cool. Definitely uh, another one of those projects on the list too far down to have actually gotten to but uh, good to see someone do it and uh, learn something about uh, uh, an interesting piece of history did you you test it on real hard, hardware then no i did not i don't own an agvision i i only oh, tested okay. it under the MAME emulator okay and i was curious if you you know I, so one thing i've thought about doing is um basically hacking it to, to kind of bypass the modem uh, <laughs> and then using it, you know, the TTY level uh, RS-232. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, I haven't been, uh, well, interested, I guess, or brave enough to do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, the machine, even the video text machines, they're they're very rare. And, and, and uh, hacking it to enable RS-232 out would be kind of invasive. Yeah, yeah. It does seem like it'd be kind of cool to do, and um, well, especially now that we, you know, you've you've exercised the protocol, at least uh, validated the document, if nothing else. You could use it, to, you know, like say put up pictures or, or uh, maybe explore the the binaries to see what uh, you can get it to do. That's yeah. The only not... thing in that document that I found to be incorrect was there's a command to change the cursor color, and it didn't seem to work. But displaying a picture is the big one, and the uh, loading up of executables all worked as described. Oh, that's pretty cool. And on um, the Color Computer Archive, it's called the Videotech Software Specification. It's a 13-page document um, that reads like an engineer wrote it. <laughs> well, it's good to, good to have some confidence in the document because uh, 
my career as a, a software developer suggests that not all documents are worth the the ink that uh, you've put on the paper. <laughs> but, exactly. But uh, it's good to hear that that one is potentially valid. So when you implemented your server, what language did you do, did you use for the implementation and what did it run on? I used Python 3 and I tested it both under Windows and a Mac OS 10. Okay. So, I mean, is that code available or somebody yes. have to sweet talk you for it? Or? <laughs> it is on my personal GitHub. Maybe you'll have a link to the video I made because that in that video description is a link to the GitHub project. Cool. Yeah, I have that link. We'll put it in the show notes. Very good there. One thing I've always been a little curious about, especially since I discovered that document, but, uh, again, didn't bother to dig into it. But So the Coco had a cartridge called VideoText. Do those specifications apply to that cartridge as well? You know, if you plug that cartridge into your Cocoa, will it act like a video text terminal to that, you yes, know, it will. That, that level of detail? Yep, it, it's the same program with uh, minor modifications to run on the Cocoa hardware. Okay, cool. Well, that's pretty neat. Yeah, so it will display the pictures. It will uh, let you load the code. Bing, bang, boom. <laughs> so now that's we just need someone cool. to invent a cool application. <laughs> and yeah. they don't have to worry about the lack of video text uh, machines. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, the uh, Python server only talks to a TCP IP port, which is what MAME provides. It would have to be modified to talk to a real serial port, to talk to a real AgVision or a video text terminal. Sure. That's not too difficult, I think. Um, no, no, not at all. The, my meager experience in the lands of Python. <laughs> um, that was a good opportunity to learn about Python. Yeah. When everybody was doing deload servers, uh, I took the opportunity to, to implement one for, uh, in Python to round out my Python skills. And that's pretty much the, the full roundness. <laughs> um, other hosts, do you have any thoughts or questions for Tim? I think you covered what I was going to talk about because I was interested in the uh, comparison to Vidtex, uh, the cartridge. So I guess our plan to uh, convert Cocos into Vidtex terminals and, and make a bundle <laughs> on eBay may, may come to fruition finally. There you go. <laughs> yeah, just slap the cartridge in the side. That's right. <laughs> I think it's interesting how the, the AgVision and the, um, the Videotex uh, motherboards, uh, I think it's really interesting on how closely they resemble a Cocoa motherboard. And even in the fact that they have a place for a cartridge port, which yeah. um, would right. certainly not exist. And it it just makes me think that the Cocoa was made first <laughs> and these other machines were um, sort of uh, modified based on the Cocoa. Yeah, they, they definitely have some similarity that um... – People talk about uh, having a, a Rev C or whatever, or, or Rev whatever, Coco One, and, but they only go so far back when the letters, you know, F, F board and E board and all that. Maybe the maybe the vid text was the, the B board or A board. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> way to think about it. Um, you know, it would make some sense, right? But you know, if you ever do uh, try to rig in an RS-232 port, one complicating factor is that the, the modem that's built into those devices toggles one of the PIA pins <laughs> at a frequency that I'm actually not quite sure about, but, and the software requires that to be toggled at that specific frequency. Um, oh. 
So um, if you took out the modem, you would have to either modify the ROM to no longer expect that or uh, somehow generate it independently. Huh. Oh, interesting. That's interesting. I wonder what the thing was there. Well, it used it as a carrier detect to, to make sure that it's uh, connected. And when the signal is gone, the software thinks the modem has hung up. Huh. Well, there's something to think about. Yeah, so. yeah. Nothing's easy, right? <laughs> now, now, did you did you say the ROM on the uh, AgVision is identical? It's uh, the code is identical. There is a token in the, in the code that is different between the AgVision, between the VideoTex computer and the VideoTex Coco cartridge. The host software can request a ID from the software from from the client software, and each of those three different versions of VideoTex has a has a different code. And then in what's called block protocol, the protocol where programs and pictures are exchanged and, and uh, screens are exchanged. That's another feature of, of the software. You could, before you connected online, you could type in a screen or two of information and then uh, tell the host software to retrieve it all in one quick batch. And uh, during that process, a different code is, is sent at the end of each block that is different from each of those three different versions of the software. Hmm. That's interesting. I enjoyed watching that in your video uh, covering the uh, how you fill up the block and then reference the page. Right. <laughs> Throw up a hex editor. But you know it's good quality <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. Um, is there any ulterior motive? Uh, is there any bigger project uh, at the end of all that? Or is this just uh, your latest no, adventure? It, you know, MAME is, you know, the little bits and pieces of MAME is my baby. So I, I love adding things to it. I love fixing bugs. So whenever something new comes up that I can sort of put my name on, I, I, I go, oh, I could do that. <laughs> That's so cool. I do. That's cool. That uh, makes sense to me. Yeah, so many things are already emulated. It's the low, it's the high-hanging fruit that are left. <laughs> Everyone, look around, see if you've got some weird cocoa hardware that you could uh, loan to Tim and. Uh, yeah. you know, you get, <laughs> give oh, what I really want to do, uh, what I really want to do, is some video digitizers. I'd, I'd love to get Mame to emulate some video digitizers. I I, mm. I remember a few years ago when me and you back and forth. Uh, we're uh, bidding against each other on a, a DS69B. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was fun times. Yeah, well, that'd be interesting. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to know more about how those actually work. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's ridiculous uh, in a sense now because, it, you know, it's, it's for a TV standard that basically is unused now, but um still be cool to figure it out. And <laughs> yeah, get it to work and well, sh show people what it used to look like. Yeah, That's right. I'm surprised there's not been any repros of those things. Oh, of the of the DS69B and and other uh, the Micron I. Do you guys remember that one? Yep. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> you know the 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 sync separation chips that uh, made some of that stuff a little more manageable. Though those chips are, are still fairly available. I think uh, you can get a sleeve of them for um, <laughs> a few bucks if you can find them. Mm -hmm. So one of the, the LM1883 or something like that. Anyway, if you feel like building uh, something like that, uh, at least the parts are available. <laughs> um, there are there are some outstanding questions regarding the AgVision and VideoText. 
I've asked these questions to multiple people who own machines and, and nobody's ever gotten back to me, but there's some pins on the PIA that are unaccounted for that may be connected to something. There's a 8-bit flip-flop, which we only know about five of the bits. You know, the three other bits may be connected to something, they may be unused. So things like that. You know, if you have a, if you have a, a video text or an ag decision, contact me and uh, I can send you a list of questions if you have a uh, digital multimeter. Cool, cool. And uh, of course, you know, here's my occasional advertisement that if you have a, an vision that uh, you want to sell and, uh, you know, Tim doesn't beat you over the head first, no. um, feel free to reach out to me. Um, you know, I may be generous. Uh, not as generous as I used to would have been, but uh, I have, uh, <laughs> you know, interest has waned a little bit, but I still make a, a very generous offer. If, uh, oh, I, I'd, I'd love to see that blue in person. I, I bet it's got to be incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a really nice style choice, a really nice, you know, design choice or whatever for that that color. I, re I wish they had a just, um, I wish they'd have made the cocoa that color, and uh, <laughs> it would have been a little prettier, you know. But that or or the the red that the aloe used. Um, <laughs> oh well. Oh yeah. Tim, I'm I'm happy that you maintain your interest in Mame and the cocoa, and it's great that somebody is care tending there, taking care of that, and uh, you know, like I said, wrestling the bugs as they pop up. Definitely good to have that uh, to have someone taking care of those things because you know, the, some of the emulations do rot, and I'm sure you've seen oh, yes. it time to time there'll be features that fall out that used to work and now they don't. <laughs> yeah, we're, and, we're we're none of us are using the Vivsor emulator anymore. That's for sure. Yeah, that's true. But, um, <laughs> partly because of DOS, but uh, <laughs> no. uh, Tim, thank you for joining us. I like to say, keep in touch and let, let us know if there's anything you uh, need to amend or whatever. No, oh, no problem. It's all good. Otherwise, I hope you'll enjoy the holidays and uh, a good coming year. Thank you so much for having me. Why buy just a video game from Atari or Intellivision? Invest in the TRS-80 color computer from Radio Shack. Unlike games, it has a real computer keyboard. With the TRS-80 color computer, the whole family can learn computing at home. Plays great games, too. Under $300, the TRS-80 color computer. Only from Radio Shack. A Tandy company. If you use your color computer for spreadsheets, accounting, and other numeric intensive applications, then you need the Number Jack from HJL Products. The Number Jack is a numeric keypad that connects to your color computer in just five minutes. No soldering, no drilling, and no special tools required. In addition to the 10 number keys, the Number Jack features four cursor keys, clear, decimal point, and four standard math keys. The Number Jack has a low profile ABS enclosure with the same full travel key switches used in the HJL57 keyboard. The Number Jack is built so well it carries a full one year warranty. Cut the tedium out of numeric data work with the Number Jack from HJL Products, a division of Touchstone Technologies. Welcome back to Neil's Corner on episode 91 of the Coco Crew Podcast. First off, I'd like to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. This is our holiday episode after all. For this month, I figured I'd review another new game from Nick Morentes, the fellow Coco Coder from Australia. This game is called Jumping Joey, Frogger Goes Down Under. And just as the title says, it's a remake of the arcade game Frogger by Konami, but given an Australian update. First off, for anyone who hasn't played or heard of the game Frogger, 
the object of the game is to get your frog safely across the river, avoiding obstacles along the way. With Jumping Joey, you have an added extra playing field area. Instead of a frog, you control Joey, which is a kangaroo. You start out on the first playing field, which is five lanes of traffic. If you make it across the traffic, the next playing field is a cattle stockyard. And finally, if you made it through the cattle, you are on to the last playing field of a flowing river with riding logs, hungry crocodiles, and submerging turtles to reach home on the other side. You must complete this six times, each time getting faster and more difficult. This game is very well done and a big improvement to the original Frogger game. The great news is Jumping Joey is designed to run on any model color computer or dragon with a minimum of 32k memory. Upon boot up, you are asked if this game is being run in an emulator. It will then ask you if you're using an RGB or composite monitor. The graphics are done in semi-graphics mode 12, 64 by 96 resolution, with a full 8 colors provided. Nick has made great use of the colors with smooth animation scrolling. Also as a bonus, there is in-game Australian chiptune music playing in the background. You also have your standard sound effects. You can toggle the music on or off by pressing M during the game. Gameplay is controlled either by keyboard or joystick. The keyboard uses the arrow keys for motion, and on a Coco 3 you can also use Alt and Control for up and down to allow the same layout as a Coco 1 and 2 keyboard for those that prefer that layout. If you'd like to play this game, you can purchase it from Nick directly on his website. You can buy it as a digital download for $8 US currency, and it will be emailed to you right away. The zip archive will provide you with a PDF file for manual, a DSK file, and a cassette and wave file. This way you'll have all the options to play this game depending on your current real Coco or emulated setup. You can even create an original cassette with the WAV file or floppy disk with the DSK image if you wish to do so. The other option is to pay $15 US currency to buy a physical copy of this game mailed to you on a CD which contains two other games Nick has recently coded. One is called Pipes and the other one is Rally SG. So if you don't already own those games it might be best to spring for the physical copy. And for those of you who are antsy and don't want to wait for the game to arrive in the snail mail, Nick will also email you a copy of Jumping Joey directly to your email address, so you can get playing right away. Well, there you have it. If you are bored over the holidays, you have another new game to play on your Coco. You will also be supporting a fellow Coco Games coder to inspire future games. Well, until next year, happy Cocoing and game on. You know, you and me, we've been together for a long time. And when you're working so hard, things can get a little hot. And you've got to find a way to cool it down. Cool down your color computer with the Cocoa Cooler from REM Industries. It brings down the operating temperature to ambient, regardless of accessory load. Reduces temperature of the entire computer, not just the SAM chip. Easy one minute installation. And it's just $39.95. And now offering the Cocoa Cooler 2. It's the same price and the same fit for the Color Computer 2. Don't let your Color Computer get too hot. Cool it down with the Cocoa Cooler. For fastest service and money order or certified check, add $2 shipping for continental U.S. Add $4 shipping for Alaska, Hawaii, Canada, and APOs. Add $15 shipping for overseas. Add $3 for 220 to 250 volt model. California residents add 6.5% sales tax. We'll ship COD on USA shipments only. All merchandise ship from stock. Cocoa Cooler is a product of REM Industries Incorporated, Chatsworth, California. Well, it's that time again. We've reached the end of the podcast, 
end the year. 2022 and episode 91 are in the can. As usual, I'd like to thank our host John Linville for procuring all the news articles and providing us with informative tech segments. Mike Rowan for painstakingly editing the podcast and creating those fun commercials. Boise Pete, our Coco historian. He remembers it, so you don't have to. I'd also like to thank Tim Lindner for giving us some of your time to record an interview with you. Last but not least, all of you who listen and support us each month, we also appreciate your feedback. Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year, everyone. Until next year, happy cocoing and retro forever. It's a blast from the past. Please listen carefully. Coco. Like there's no tomorrow. What is this crazy rock and roll music anyway? It's a blast from the past. Dance, dance, dance. Let's go.